Go on, give talk. I said, welcome to another rendition of a Seeker Trend Q&A podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this on the Spotify or one of those podcast platforms and you'd like to see our two ugly mugs chatting in a poorly lit room, uh, you can go to YouTube, to the Seek a Strength YouTube channel and watch this podcast. If you're watching the podcast and you think, maybe I want a more audio-friendly version yeah, um, to listen to in the ca- in the car during your commute or something. You're, you're, you're wasting uh, precious question time, Fitz. Yeah. Yeah, you can basically listen to this in podcast form as well. So, Garf, hit us up with the first question. I'm going to go in with uh, Goody. What about creatine? What about creatine? Well, for Fitz, you go. You love creatine. Uh, so, creatine is basically one of the only dietary supplements that really has any, like, ergogenic aid uh, effect. Um, kind of well-documented scientific studies. So... If you're a power athlete, if you're somebody who uses the creatine system extensively, which realistically everybody does, um, if you're doing things that are going between like 10 seconds with like around the 10 second mark, so sprints, uh, high intensity, one of those nice buzzwords, uh, if you start taking creatine, you will basically like creatine is something you can make ATP out of. ATP is energy in inverted commas. Uh, so if you have more creatine in your system, which taking supplementary creatine will allow you to have, um, you can basically go harder for longer. Uh, my opinion on creatine is, like with all supplements, it's borderline useless and yeah, basically waste your money. Uh, like if we're if we're being, yeah, I think the thing to note is that every supplement is useless, yeah, and that people take creatine thinking they'll get the effects of steroids and it's just not that's just not what happens i was like so we've we've covered this in our our supplement podcast our our, like our quick review of our supplements yeah and obviously so it's very well studied it's unbelievably safe it's it can it could not be safe i don't even know why that ever needs to be studied but it, it had to be answered i suppose it does what it's supposed to do in your body yeah you can take it and it's very cheap and it's going to have no side effects Honestly, I don't think it's going to do much for you. And no, there's no reason not to take creatine. Like financially, it's very cheap, I suppose. And like we kind of mentioned on that podcast as well. I think, yeah, if so, right. If you're somebody who lives within that, that energy system, if you live just in there, so you're like mm-hmm. a rugby player or a football player or a sprinter, like by all means, there's non-responders and there's responders. That's very, very well documented. Uh, take it for a while see if it works for you see if yep. you notice a difference and fuck it if it makes you feel like yep. you're better then just keep taking it. you know I, like don't overcomplicate these things by saying oh well you know I, I, I feel great on this but um, then somebody said you know like whatever even if it's just a placebo effect yep. take it for a little while see does it make a difference you'll spend 15 euro getting some uh, and then it's no big deal if it doesn't work yeah, that's actually a great answer. It's basically, if it feels like it works for you, then go for it. And obviously, like, look, if if somebody's trying to sell you a magnet bracelet that's mm-hmm. going to make you better at balancing, mm-hmm. don't be an idiot. Yeah. But in general, yeah, there's kind of no reason not to take creatine. Yeah, yeah, there is some scientific rigor to the stuff that's been done. So next question is, should beginner intermediate athletes use Prilipin's chart to program for strength? My opinion on Prilipin's chart is it is a useful 
kind of uh, visualization tool to understand what the different reps are if you have no idea about strength training. So if you're like, if you've never done any strength training before and you've no idea what percentages feel like and what kind of effect they have and what kind of reps you could do at certain percentages, then it's a useful tool to look at kind of once and go, okay, so I can't do 10 reps at 98%. Okay, that makes (laughs) sense, you know. Yeah. But I wouldn't be going, okay, so I'm planning out my next four months of training and I'm going to go, okay, I need to do this many reps at this percentage and then do this, you know, like it's, it doesn't really, it's like, it doesn't do anything for you. I think it's, it's more in principle. Yeah. Like, or like understanding the process rather than using it as your rule of thumb, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, it's more a system whereby if you're a beginner and if you're saying like, oh, look, I could do this amount for 10 reps. This is roughly what this percentage is. Yep. It won't be bang on and don't start thinking like, like what I hate is people being like, oh, well, I did 180 for three. So I'd say my 1RM is 200, you know, yep. it's, it's your 1RM isn't 200. Your 1RM is the most amount of weight you've done one rep for. Uh, so I think with all those things, uh, I think they're valuable. Yep. I think understanding why the numbers are, the numbers is valuable and understanding like the kind of the principle around it again um you can you can learn a lot from but don't stick to it or like doing those online rep calculators yeah like they're cool to play around with if you've never trained or like you're trying to figure it or it's your first time maxing out then it's kind of cool but like they don't mean anything like what i think it's useful is it is to visualize kind of someone had to do it so someone had to write that down someone had to write down like this is the optimal number of reps you should do at a certain percentage and then that's it so it's useful for a beginner to understand that you kind of look for volume landmarks and you go okay so i have 85 percent of my one rm and i need to do about 25 total reps of this and then this should elicit a positive response yeah. and it gives you the understanding that you need to look at your total number of lifts at that percentage and that's how you progress is by adding more reps at the same or more weight and that's how you progress so it's a useful tool it makes sense and no one disagrees with it but I don't think it's something I would be basing my programs off of because you need to learn. You might be that kind of lifter where you can only do, so let's say you have 85%, so let's say your max is 240 back squat. Yeah. 85% is something like 205. So you go, I would like to be able to do 25 total reps in a session. Yeah. So this is kind of, I'm basing my max at the moment at 240 because that's the most I squatted. Say two weeks ago, I said, I'm going to get 15 total reps in a session. Yeah. Next session, I wanted 20 to 25 total reps at the same weight. So it's a form of progressing. I've gone from, I haven't changed the weight, so I kept the same weight because it's a useful weight. So 85, 80 to 85% is a great place for strength training because you can do a certain number of reps. It's heavy enough. It's close enough to your max that it's useful. But it's not so light that you have to do sets of 10, you know. So it's... Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's like a, it's also a place where you're getting a huge amount of power output yeah. as, a, as a strength athlete. Yeah. Most normal athletes are going to be around 60 to 65%, whereas as, as the strength athlete, the strength athlete you are, Gurf, uh, you'll get most of your kind of power effects at 80% of your one rep max. So that is, I think the other, the other place we can draw value from those kind of charts and those kind of rule of thumbs is that mm-hmm. they force you to track your things a bit more and they force you to just... Uh, pay attention to things a bit more so if you're like firstly i think if you're a beginner you shouldn't be programming for yourself yeah i think you're like you're gonna stunt your progress Mm -hmm. in every single facet of it um 
it's fun and it's great and, and it's cheap, obviously, because you're not paying yourself, but you'll waste uh, years. You will waste years and you'll probably like you'll be the reason that you'll stop strength training or stop going to the gym. Oh, that's a Yeah. That's a part of words it's. Uh, but you will. Yeah. Uh and like we've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. So I don't think you should be using it to program for yourself because I don't think you should be programming for yourself. Yeah. Uh, but I think it is valuable. It's also valuable that you're paying attention to these things and yeah. you're noting. Yeah. Like, fuck it. If if you just, if you look at that chart and say, well, I'm going to find out what my eight rep max is. Mm-hmm. That's valuable in itself yeah. because you're taking account and you're like actually tracking what's going on. Yeah, like it's so incredibly useful just to be exposed to the concept that the optimal number of total reps at something like eighty-five percent yeah. is this many reps, yeah, and then the optimal number of reps at like seventy-five percent is this many reps. So I'm not actually not too sure how low he goes. Oh, he goes to fifty-five to sixty percent is total number of reps twenty-four. So he's saying stuff like eighty to ninety percent optimal number of reps is fifteen reps per set is two to four. So it's just great to be. It's like a scientific tool almost. It's a principle. It's like fucking Pythagoras theorem or some kind of first principles derived maths. You know, it's it's someone had to do it. Yeah. It's useful for people to see. So when you're learning about programming, you're like, you just get a, a just a ballpark of what the ideas are. Yeah. And then you go, okay, this is not something I can really implement because I'm just a beginner. I don't really know what I'm doing, but this is something I'm going to be, you're going to go to yourself, okay, in five years time, I'm going to have a better understanding of this. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So... Uh, next the question. next question the next one is hang on what would you recommend to do with a barbell and 80 kg worth of plates uh, GPP can form more plates okay uh, uh, I'd start by saying weightlifter he's a weightlifter yep. okay so 80 kilos for everybody is enough for GPP yep. Um, like I don't know any weightlifter we've ever met who would do their GPP much higher than 80% unless they're doing like no, super high reps. 80, sorry, I think, did he say 80 kilo plates? Oh, kilo. so 100 kilos. 80 kg, yeah, so 100 kilos total. Okay, yeah, so that's plenty. What I'd start doing is like, depending on this, like all GPP conversations start the same, but it, it depends how long you have to do your GPP mm-hmm. and then how long you have in an actual specific phase before you go into competition. If you're a weightlifter and you're not going to be competing yeah. realistically till December or January yeah. um, over this side of the pond anyway, I'd start my GPP incredibly broad. Sorry, actually, I need to clarify the question. So he's, he just said he wanted to know, is GPP what he would do or would you recommend other stuff? I think, oh. GPP is a good place to start anyway. <laughs> yeah, GPP is always good. Yeah. Um, and I would start very general, very broad. Mm-hmm. I do loads of different, like what I... If I was a weightlifter and if I was in the situation now where I knew I wasn't going back to weightlifting for a while, mm-hmm. I'd definitely pick four or six weeks just to do a general block. And then I, then if I was going to be competing a bit earlier, I'd just start weightlifting straight away and start with a nice broad range of stuff for weightlifting. If you're in the first category, I would go on to like powerathlete.com or any number of websites seek a strength.com and i would get an off-season mm-hmm. uh strength and hypertrophy program that's yep. what i would do i would look at like look somewhere else from your current situation and get a program and just follow that for six or eight weeks following a hammer throwers program for six or eight weeks yep. will probably make you better if you're using their gpp stuff if you're a weightlifter now and you have like 80 or 100 kilos even if it's like even if you're snatching whatever 140 
you can still do the first period of training. Like mm-hmm. you can't do your deadlifts yeah. and you can't do your squats, but you can do pretty much everything else. Uh, make sure you're getting in good work capacity stuff because that will really, really stand to you in two or three months time. Like unless your maxes are something like 75 and 95, you know, if that is the case, then you can train as productive as normal. You just won't be able to do a whole lot of squats. Yeah. Be able to do very productive snatching, clean and jerk. But if your maxes are somewhere in the region of 120 and 150 plus. Yeah. Like three by five at 80 kilo snatch is hard for everyone. It's just shit. Like <laughs> once you get over three reps in anything, the snatch, it's just yeah. hard. So you can do as many high rep sets as you want. And if you know you can get back to training in like six weeks, there's no reason you can't start doing sets of four and five and like for... Like you, if some of the secret weightlifting blocks, there's fours in them. Um, there's like, fours in them and people feel like they're being assaulted by fours. Yeah, people feel, it feels like, someone actually mentioned that. When they, they, yeah. They said it's like being punched in the throat. <laughs> I like, it's needed to know. So we, yeah. we program fours and fives and some of our lifters uh, when needs be. So you can always work on technique. So you can work on technique with an empty barbell. So if you have anywhere, 75% is a great place to work on technique for weightlifting because it's, you're still working on like speed in weightlifting, although all weightlifting <laughs> should be fast, but it's kind of like those reps can always be fast for you. Yeah. They won't be incredibly fatiguing. You can do a lot of sets in them in a short period of time. So you can kind of practice your technique, but you can also get a little bit of um, like kind of work capacity working in a, in a shorter period of time. And then you can, you can try to be smart with it. But obviously if your maxes are low, you can just do normal training. Yeah. If your maxes are high, you can never, ever have too good a technique. You can never do too much technique work and weightlifting. And you can never have enough work capacity. And just to touch on the uh, GPP kind of work you could do with that is no end of single leg work. So like lunges, walking lunges, reverse lunges, overhead lunges, split squats, um, fucking front squats, zombie squats, uh, high rep back squats, fucking... Yeah, I, I would say as well, like site-specific hypertrophy. Yeah. If you're somebody who's, like, their back gets tired mm-hmm. or their, um, oh, if their knees get sore, yeah. do, like, loads of VMO work. Like, do loads of yeah. just back extensor work. Do things, like, identify a few weak spots and spend, like, 80 kilos is enough hypertrophy weight for anybody. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to be doing, uh, nobody's going to be doing, like, sets of eight on a pistol squat with more than 80 kilos or more than 100 kilos um like yeah i think do your work capacity stuff make sure you've really really nice pretty technique make sure the bar is moving well and moving fast and then do your like site specific hypertrophy work I mean, that was question number two was it? that was three that was three yeah okay so next one is uh an interesting one that i would i want to talk about is Left director bigger than my right director tips on how to get my right side bigger. So this is nobody, literally no athlete in the world. And I this this kind of came into the kind of whole training sphere f- like maybe 10 years ago about being unilaterally balanced. Yeah. Now we love unilateral work, but we don't prescribe unilateral work because fits his right VMO is a little bit thicker than his left VMO. We prescribe unilateral work because you have to do unilateral work because it's important to do for strength training. You know, it's important to not neglect any area. So he needs to be, if he increases the strength in his left leg on a certain exercise and on his right leg, it's going to help, you know, it's going to transfer. Yeah. But a lot of times people worry, oh, like you, every single athlete on earth, every single person has 
differences from left side to right side in terms of uh, muscular size and strength. Yeah. Like it's just impossible to be perfect. Um, there's a case of where they studied this, the uh, stride lengths of uh, runners at a European competition, I think. And the biggest discrepancy in stride lengths from, I think, left side to right side was up to 20 centimeters. Yeah. And that was in a medalist, I think. So that'll let you know that if people are winning, like it's not causing a lack of performance. Now it might be causing some kind of injury. It could be causing some lack of a performance, but realistically, mm. like so in this case, it may not be causing an issue. Now, unless you have a hunchback in Notre Dame on one side <laughs> and a normal on the right side, then you should be like, mm, there is where, a- Yeah, where I get concerned um, isn't when I see a muscle being bigger on one side or yeah. uh, like it, differences in symmetry, but when I see weakness on one side yeah. and then no necessary weakness on the other. So uh, you can see it on like split squats. You might be able to see it on assisted pistols or something where somebody on their dominant leg is very capable they're able to do something they might be able to do it at body weight or more than body weight and then on one side they're piss poor that's where i start to get concerned you know but like everybody so you know your man like magnus mcknan or something the rock climber guy we were talking about last week oh yes 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 so like he was a very very good rock climber he's obviously very youtube famous now but he was a serious competitive rock climber and he has 20 percent more muscle fiber in his right arm than he does in his left and when you look at rock climbing rock climbing is an extremely symmetrical sport you know they're like Mm -hmm. they're always like it's both hands are working um so these discrepancies happen all the time if you look the ewf published a paper two years ago three years ago now on uh, muscle fiber density or just a cross-sectional area of muscle fibers in the front leg of the split jerk versus the back leg and you've up to 30% difference so 30% more muscle in the front quad than you do in in the quad of the rear leg that's just that's just what's going to happen whether people had more muscle mass in one leg so they put that leg forward to be the stronger leg or whether just that leg going forward through weightlifting training is the reason they develop more muscle it's not a big deal yeah um and then the last thing i would say and this is like look just go and work on a weakness if you have it but people get obsessed with this thing of like oh i need to make sure like both my shoulders are the same size if you break your arm and you're going to like a very good uh physiotherapist or good doctor or surgeon or whatever it is if i break my left arm the number one thing i'm going to do is keep training my right arm as as hard as possible so i'm pushing progression curves i'm really working the right arm as as hard as possible because you have bilateral transfer so you have increased uh neuromuscular stimulus in the injured arm so the arm that's not being trained at all you've better hormonal levels in the arm so like growth hormone and things like that in the arm that isn't being trained at all and then just you by training your non-trained so like your injured arm will be in a better state if I keep training my non-injured arm. So what I'm basically saying is like, you can keep training one side as much as you want, but like fix it if it's a weakness. Don't get caught up in it if it isn't a clear weakness. So like if Fitz was saying, let's say you're doing like seated shoulder press and on one side you can rep out 20 kilo dumbbells for like sets of 10 and then the left side you're struggling with 10 kilos for five. That's yeah. when you go, oh, this looks like a huge discrepancy. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is an accident waiting to happen. Whereas if you're something like, you can do, say, 20 sets of 10 on the right side, and then you can do like 20 sets of 8 or 9 on the left side yeah, yeah. <clears throat> for like the last two sets, then that's absolutely, I don't think that's anything in particular to worry about. I don't think you should waste valuable training resources murdering that left side again 
Now, what we always do say is you let the weaker side dictate the weights and reps used. So if you can only do, say, 20 for 8 on the left side, you only go to 20 for 8 on the right side. So you don't want to facilitate a bigger discrepancy. You just want mm-hmm. to, uh, you acknowledge it, and then you try to bring them closer if it is an issue. So like if you're a weightlifter, it wouldn't be ideal to have <clears throat> one side massively more, massively stronger. No. Whereas, you know, if you're a bodybuilder or a normal strength athlete, if they're very, very similar, it probably doesn't really matter that much. No. And I, I don't think that's, uh, it's just all about finding, you know, using your training resources really validly and not yeah. wasting mental and physical en- energy. Just as you're pulling up the last question there, Gareth, yep. like when people get caught up in these things and then suddenly they're doing four extra sets of single arm dumbbell bench to try and make their pec bigger and more even on the other side, a lot of the time those discrepancies are formed for a reason. So if you have somebody who's like using a certain working pattern in work or if you're like a racket athlete um, or an athlete like a hockey athlete or something like that, you'll develop into particular ways for a reason. So you don't necessarily need, like, you would, like, there's, I've said this name three times, but there's a reason you've developed like that. If the person asking about their erectors is saying, like, oh, one side is, is bigger than the other, uh, like, that's for a reason. And we're not, we, we're definitely not able to say what that reason is now, but if your weightlifter and your VMO is, thir- or your quad has 30% more muscle fiber in it, uh, on one side and it does on the other that will obviously affect your pull and that could just be throwing your pull slightly off to one side which would cause one side of your erectors to be bigger than the other okay so next question is <clears throat> best lower back exercises oh i love it so you know uh, do you want to go every second one okay you um you go first favorite lower back exercise is a reverse hyper and not necessarily like you don't have to do reverse hypers on a reverse hyper machine or anything uh, if you get two boxes, so two plyo boxes and stack them up on top of each other. So when you jump up and your hips are hanging off the edge uh, that your feet aren't touching the ground, you can then just like hold on to like a bar or something out in front of the box uh, and do your reverse hypers, double leg, single leg, every second leg. Uh, or like the gym abandoned is perfect because we've like a windowsill of an old office that you can kind of hang off and you do your reverse hypers off that. I think there's just something so valuable in like a really strong concentric with a hold at the top and then like a prolonged uh, eccentric with a nice amortization phase at the end. Uh, for me, it, it's got to be back extensions. So like hyperextensions are my favorite lower back exercise. I don't do a whole lot of them, <clears throat> but I did when I was a, a kind of a, a beginner weightlifter. And if you can do them, you basically can't do too many of them within training within reason. So weighted unweighted for reps with holds they are just yeah. it's basically the opposite of the the uh, reverse hyper they're an essential for weightlifters in a lot of countries a lot of countries just back extensions are just part of yeah. your session you do your abs and your back extensions like that is a huge part of training yeah i'd say the next thing i go to then is like your single arm cheetah rows uh barbell rows all those kind of things where you're holding that kind of bottom of the RDL position and doing work there, I think that's very, very valuable to make your back strong at, at maintaining a position. The lower back? Yeah. Go on. Uh, so like if you're there with your knees almost fully locked, shoulders at the same height as your hips and you're doing your rows in those positions, uh, you might be doing like uh, IYTWs in that position. Mm-hmm. It just makes your back very, very strong at maintaining a position and getting very good like 
an ability to maintain contraction over a very long period of time. So I think that's what catches people is their back might be strong enough to do uh, if look, if your back gets tired in back squats, right, and your back is strong enough to do two or three reps or even one rep, uh, but then when you go beyond that, your form starts to break down. Like it's your inability to maintain that contraction over a prolonged period and then you slipping into bad form is what's causing you to be sore. Uh, for the last one for that, I really like, you know, the kind of, um, some people call them para- or Superman planks, but you know, the kind of paraglider one where you're lying in your stomach yeah, and your yeah. legs off the ground. So like overarching your mid and kind of lower back as much as you can holding that for time that is hard for everyone yeah so if you get good enough for that you can add some like small five kilo plates on your upper back that is a phenomenal one and like if you haven't done that you no matter how strong you are you probably can't hold that for more than like 20 yeah. seconds before cramping up if you've never done that those like really specific yeah uh exercises are so good like as a as a strength athlete you basically can't have too strong of a back literally no and don't get that confused with like you can't overtrain your lower back yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you can overtrain it like a bitch. But uh, like you can definitely go too hard on these exercises, but um, just keep at them, like keep going, keep going, keep going. I think there's actually we have time for one more question. I All think right. it's uh, so one person wants to know how much carryover does the conventional deadlift have to impulse? And the other one is <laughs> why aren't heavy deadlifts program more in weightlifting with back offsets, keep speed? So... It, it, this is, seems to be so if we're talking about like a training methodology in countries so us personally yeah. at Seeker Strength we love clean deadlifts like we do having a strong pull only makes sense but a lot of weightlifting countries as many do seem to be as most of them like clean deadlifts and clean pulls and clean snatch pulls uh, the problem with doing I think heavy deadlifts is there can be a perception like the person just actually case in point here said why don't you do back offs to keep your speed but you're not doing clean deadlifts for speed. You're doing them for strength. You know, you're not trying to chain that particular modality of your fucking, your skills. So uh, like Miso thinks his best clean deadlift is 250. Yeah. Which is, it's clearly not, but that's what he gets. Yeah, Whereas yeah, Gabriel yeah. loves clean deadlifts. Yeah. Loves them. He knows he did like 305 <laughs> really fast, I'd imagine. Um, Germany loves them. Yeah. You can see from them and the experiences we had with them, they love them. But then we had the Bulgarians who basically did no pulls as far as we we're aware of. Yeah. Uh, Miso. But Miso then does loads of like heavy, heavy block pulls. Really heavy. Loves heavy snatch pulls. So I think uh, I think more the Western world doesn't do a lot of clean deadlifts. Yeah. And, uh, and right. I think it's because uh, in like weightlifting countries in inverted commas, like not the UK, Western Europe or America. the US. Yeah. Uh, like... Over here, right, we have this thing where it's like conventional deadlift. Yeah. And you're wearing flat shoes. Yeah. Your shins are vertical. You're sitting back in your ass. Uh, you're like just trying to get the bar past your knees and then open your... Like, Joe, it's it's an incredibly different position. Whereas if you look at deadlifts in the Eastern Bloc or you look at like the Russians doing their deadlifts, they're setting up like a clean. Like even when they're doing like a max deadlift in inverted commas, it looks like a clean when they're setting up. And that is the difference. Like there's obviously differences in speed, but like, as we mentioned at the start, when we're doing clean pulls, we're doing them to get strong at clean pulls, not to be fast in the clean. Uh, But like taking away from all the speed and all the power outputs and all those different metrics, the real difference is the positioning during the pull. And like, it it just happened, like, it's just the way it is that it's a very, very quad dominant first pull off the ground in weightlifting. And it's just not that much in powerlifting. Uh, I think 
probably the reason you don't see really heavy deadlifts is because they're just so fatiguing and there's kind of no reason if you're clean and jerking 150 kilos to be able to deadlift 280 kilos and then yeah. hugely fatigue yourself for up to 10 to 14 days for some people with heavy deadlifts so it really gets you and especially if you're a weightlifter you're probably not used to that massive time under tension and i know a heavy deadlift doesn't seem like a long time under tension but when you have a lift that lasts 1.4 seconds you haven't seen my deadlift <laughs> <laughs> like it, it is murder so there, it's a very there's not a whole lot of like the trade-off isn't really worth it so you're kind of like I, you don't see people going super max and clean yeah. deadlifts. Now, some countries do, but like the Chinese, for example, um, Gabriel loves these kind of ultra max, like 120% yeah. or more. But for most people, the trade-off is... Most people. It. Most people, <laughs> the trade-off isn't really kind of uh, worth it for heavy deadlifts, but you should definitely be doing a lot of deadlifts in your training. Yeah. As much as you're squatting in terms of volume, I would say. Okay. So we'll call it there. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank And watching. And if you're on YouTube... Feel free to leave questions in the comments that you want us to answer and we'll get to them on the episode after this. There's also, yeah. if you don't agree with things here, yeah, 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 which yeah. sometimes people don't agree with things, let us know why. Let let us know why. Have Put it well, in the comments. Lo- leave a good comment where you think I don't agree with that and we love it. Okay, yeah. we gotta go. Thanks. Thanks.